it is just a language that has within it the sounds of history, the geography, the neighbors, everything is inside. Donde irás, amigos toparás. Wherever you go, may you find friends. Welcome to El Ponte, the Ladino podcast about bridging cultures and cultivating connections. My name's Ivy. And my name is Max. And we are your hosts. On today's episode, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Rachel Amata Bortnik. She's a Sephardic Jew, a Ladino speaker, born and raised in Izmir, Turkey. She came to the U.S. in 1958 on a scholarship to Lindenwood University in Missouri from which she received a B.A. in chemistry. She and her American husband got married in Turkey, then lived in Holland and Israel, before returning to the U.S., where they have lived in several cities, before settling in Dallas, Texas. For many years, Rachel has been active in the preservation and promotion of Judeo-Spanish language and culture. In the San Francisco Bay Area, she founded and was president of Los Amigos Sefaradis. She is featured in the documentary film Trees Cry for Rain, A Sephardic Journey, produced in 1988 by Bonnie Burt. In 1999, Rachel founded Ladino Comunita, a Ladino correspondence group on the internet, which now has reached nearly 1,500 members from over 40 countries. She has served as the president of the Dallas Jewish Historical Society and as the secretary of the Society for Crypto-Judaic Studies. Rachel is now retired after teaching ESOL, English for Speakers of Other Languages, for 35 years. We're so excited to have her on our podcast today, and we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. Well, I grew up in Izmir, as you know, and um, uh, we're totally Sephardic, and I grew up in a community where the language was Ladino. There was no other language in Izmir among the Jews. Uh, all the Jews spoke Ladino. When I went to the grocery store, I had to speak Ladino. I mean, it's everything. The bargaining with the passing uh, itinerant salesmen were in Ladino. Everything, mm -hmm. everything. So uh, that was uh, uh, the background. And, uh, and it was, there were a lot of Jewish people at that time when I was little, until the um, the state of Israel was founded, and then there was a massive aliyah to Israel. The community really shrunk, like by two thirds, in within a year or two. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. It was amazing how it shrunk. But uh, our language continued to be Ladino, and. Uh, that happened, and I had no idea that it was an endangered language at all <laughs> mm -hmm. until um, I came in, to America in uh, 1958 to college and uh, found that nobody had heard of us. Nobody had heard of Ladino. Nobody knew what, how you could be Jewish and not be Yiddish-speaking. I came to Middle America, <laughs> to the real heart of the United States. And uh, uh, I don't know if you watched the movie, but... Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, it was a big culture shock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, so that's my... Uh, 
uh, and my interest in in Ladino uh, in the United States uh, first um, was because I was angry that nobody had heard about it. But second, um, when I actually did something about it and when we lived in San Francisco uh, in 1985, I met my first Sephardic people in the United States. Really? <laughs> wow. uh, and so uh, uh, they were mostly survivors of the Holocaust from Salonika, but there were yeah. others, a few of them American born. Uh, and I founded um, Los Amigos Separadis mostly because I missed greatly uh, not being able to talk my language. By then, my parents had died and my aunts and uncles were dying one after another. I come from a very big family. My mm -hmm. uh, mother was one of eight and my uh, father was one of six. So... Um, all the uh, aunts and uncles with whom I spoke or I wrote to in Ladino um, were dying, had died by then. <laughs> and so mostly my uh, motivation was nostalgia. I missed speaking my language. And that's uh, when I um, formed Los Amigos Separadis mm -hmm. in, uh, in the Bay Area. Can you so tell us a little bit about Los Amigos Sephardis? Yes. Um, uh, we, after I met, I met the, my first Sephardic people in America by chance, we moved there from St. Louis in 1982. And um, I, I didn't know anybody. So I went to a Hadassah meeting. I was a Hadassah member. So I found out they were having a luncheon. And uh, there were a lot of women there and uh, they were all sitting around round tables. And we, I sat in one, I didn't know anybody. And people started introducing themselves. And one person said her name was Paulette Sevi. Mm. And uh, I knew right away that she was Sephardic, but I said, Paulette, are you French? I knew very well she wasn't. Uh, she said, no, I'm from Greece. And so I said, hablas en español. Me dice, seguro. And uh, then I met her husband, who was Isaac Sebi, uh, survivor of the Holocaust, uh, who sang beautifully. Anyway, um, I just started crying. It was mm. very emotional. Um, and that's, and then they introduced me to other people, some of them their relatives, some of them just people they had met. And uh, I said, we have to start a group so we can talk our language. And uh, so that was the beginning of Los Amigos. Our first meeting was, I think it was January of 1985. And uh, I wrote a poem about it <laughs> in Ladino. And uh, um, we had monthly meetings. We met mostly in my house, but everybody brought something. There was always food and there was always a prepared lecture. Mm. Uh, uh, sometimes the lectures were in English. We invited people and uh, it was very successful. It got covered by the local newspaper and uh, 
people, more people started coming. I got invited to the Yiddish club to speak to them <laughs> about what Ladino was and so Amazing. on. Yeah. And it continued until I left in 88. Um, and it was taken over by René Morjo for a couple of years, but then it dissolved. Yeah. 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 People moved away to Rossmore, which yeah. was a, a retirement community and, and just dissolved. Yeah. Did you find, as you said, you're from Turkey and your friend that you met um, was from Greece. Were you able to, were there, I guess, linguistic differences? In, yes, you know, yes, <laughs> there were. There were, but uh, we we understood each other, basically. I mean, uh, I remember, for example, uh, Rene says to me, you are, you're being influenced by Spanish. I said, why? <laughs> I said, uh, because you say lechos. Uh, we say lonje. I, I said, uh, lonje, I never heard that. <laughs> You know, to say far away. Yeah. Uh, well, they have the Italian influence over there, and uh, we we just use the Spanish uh, and so on. Uh, there were a few things like that, but uh, mostly it's the same language. I mean, they uh, we used to joke that they put an F in front of many words like uh, fazer instead of azer mm-hmm. and so on, uh, but. Uh, but those were nothing. I mean, basically yeah. spoke the same language. To hear Isaac Sevi sing um, not only the Ladino songs, the secular songs, but also the uh, liturgy, the uh, Ladino liturgy was just too emotional for me. It was yeah. just so beautiful. He was a fantastic singer. His tapes uh, are in the Holocaust Museum of San Francisco Mm. uh, there. And, uh, of course, uh, his daughter lives in Los Angeles, so I'm in touch with her still. Okay. Elaine Sevi, yeah. Yeah. Um, So when you were in San Francisco and you started Los Amigos de Faradis, you weren't... What, what was your profession? Because this was oh, all volunteer, I, I right? Was, yeah, I I got my degree actually from Lindenwood College and I University in St. Charles, Missouri was in chemistry. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I uh, worked a little bit part-time as the kids were growing up in chemistry and I didn't really like it. Uh, at the time, uh, they were uh, uh, receiving um, Jewish refugees from Russia in St. Louis, and uh, so a friend of mine was teaching English, and um, so I went, I had taught English in Turkey, mm. uh, you know, just to students. Um, so I, they hired me to, to teach English, and then um, that became a public school. They wanted us to uh, to accept refugees from anywhere. There were Vietnamese, Laotians, and so on coming at that time. And so we took um, courses at the university, at AMSL, and um, uh, uh, on adult education and so on. So I became an ESL teacher and did that for 35 years after that. Yeah. 
So that was my profession. I did that wherever I went in, in St. Louis, then in the Bay Area, and then in Dallas. Um, yeah. So did you find that your experience as a multilingual Ladino speaker and also as an immigrant um, influenced your choice and your experience as a teacher? Very much. It was very uh, almost therapeutic for me Mm. to meet other immigrants who, um, and, and they felt that I think, (laughs) or so they told me Mm. that they felt a bond with me because English was my second language also, but I, I knew English very well before I came because I attended an American school in Turkey. Mm. Um, but even so, I had difficulties yeah. um, because where I came, most of the girls were from the South and I really did not understand them when they talked among themselves. <laughs> That's something to me. I usually understood them, yeah. but you know. <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, I had never heard that accent before. Yeah. You know. So Single was, syllables were double syllables. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was see it. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So what was, how did you learn English? And I guess Turkish also. Um, well, Turkish. Yes, of course. Uh, my first language was Ladino, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I started learning Turkish from the neighbors. I, mm. We had neighbors that liked me because I was very cute when I was <laughs> little. And, uh, and so uh, I went over. We had this, uh, you may have heard of this, uh, uh, almost pan-Sephardic uh, habit of uh, mothers who wanted to get rid of their children when they were too busy, they had something to do. They sent them to somebody, either a relative or a neighbor, and told them to ask for, in the case in Izmir, the term was oturburda, which is a Turkish word, which means sit here. But we didn't know what it meant because, <laughs> <laughs> so we would go to the neighbor and say, uh, we would, I would ask my mother, what is that? She, said, she knows, she knows what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I would go to the neighbor and say, um, in Turkish, my mother wants you to give me some oturburta. And, she's, and she would say, sit here, I'll give you. <laughs> so they would keep me for, in other places, the same thing happened, like even in Salonika and Rhodes and other places, they called it things like tenemaki, which is in Ladino, mm-hmm. they hold me here, or, or, um, um, uh, there's another term uh, in Turkish also, alikobeni, uh, alikobeni, which also means uh, keep me here. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, since we didn't know the Turkish language very well, we didn't know what we were saying, just that our mothers told the person to give us some of that. <laughs> and so they would keep us. And after a while, they still, we still didn't have anything to bring home. And then finally, when the time came, they'd say, tell your mother, we're out. We don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I learned Turkish and then I went to school. I went to a Jewish school where the language really among the students was Ladino. Uh, um, but the instruction was in Turkish. So uh, I attended the Beneberit school for uh, 
the first four years. And then my mother took me out of there because I wasn't doing well there <laughs> and uh, enrolled me in a Turkish public school. So I did that. Uh, and then uh, after that, I went to the American school, which was like a junior high through, through junior college almost. It was eight years. So I was able to get my degree here in two years mm. because many of our uh, teachers were American and we used college textbooks and so on. Yeah. So that was my experience uh, learning English. Yeah. yeah. My father actually knew English. Uh, he was one of the few people who did speak English in Turkey. He worked for the American Tobacco Company. Mm. In, uh, uh, and I even worked there for two summers as, as a typist. Mm. Yeah. He oh. came out smelling like tobacco. <laughs> tobacco. Yeah. In, in my own research, actually, I'm looking at uh, Sephardic Jews from Izmir and the American tobacco industry. Oh, really? So a lot of them from Izmir. Yes. And the Amato family, of course. Oh, really? Um, yeah. That's so interesting because uh, it isn't so long ago that I learned that the reason my father worked there is because his father worked there. Mm. Uh, I, yeah. His father had died long before my father was married, so I never knew yeah. him. But so, I have like, a wonderful portrait of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, handmade, yeah where he wears the fez and the... Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Was French at all part of the multilingual world? Yes, of- yes. Both my parents knew French. They had studied French in school, uh, although they did not go. Neither one went to the Alliance. My mother went to actually a nun's school, <laughs> uh, a school nun- run by nuns. Mm-hmm. It, was, it seems popular with the Jewish girls. Yeah. It was a really? girl's school. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, my father went to Talmud Torah, where I guess as an elective, they thought uh, because the British were there. And so yeah. the British were big and actually into the tobacco business also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. my father learned English, which came in very handy when my husband and I went to Turkey and oh, yeah. got married. <laughs> Did you, I know that you're, Husband wasn't Sephardic, but did he also speak or learn Ladino? Nothing. Nothing. Mm. <laughs> what about Monolingual you? Monolingual American. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Yiddish. I mean, wow. yeah, their grandfather lived with them and he didn't pick up any Yiddish. <laughs> I have a question. From your um, from the documentary, from the Trees Cry for Rain, you talked a lot about Vijitas. And I was wondering if you could um, tell us a little bit more about that, about what languages were spoken or, or the tradition. The language was always always Spanish. We called it Espanol, you know. We didn't uh, know the word Latino. <laughs> um, uh, and um, that was the only language. Izmir was different from uh, places like Istanbul, where um, speaking French was a sign of, mm. uh, you know, being educated or high class. It wasn't so in our community, everybody, even those that wanted to speak and did speak to their children in French, there were a few families, they had no choice, but when they stepped outside of the house, it had to be in Spanish, in Latino. Mm. Uh, That was the language of the community. Uh, So uh, there was no uh, 
no way to to get the languages mixed up. Although we had a few, uh, you know, we had influences from French in our uh, language. Like we always said bonjour and bonsoir and bonne <laughs> we went, you know. Um, but, uh, but then I had a, an aunt, an older woman on my father's side, who uh, knew no other language except Ladino, and she would never say that. She would uh, would say Buenos Dias or Nochada uh, Buena, you know. She she wouldn't use. I remember we used to say beurre for butter, which is a French word, and my aunt didn't know that word. She would call it manteca, you know. It's, uh, there were um, you know there were French. My mother sang songs in French, you know, that she had learned in school and so on, uh, rather than Latino songs. The Ladino songs I used to hear from the maids. There we had. Uh, there were a lot of poor Jewish people in our town as a child, and uh, the maids that came to clean the house or something were all Jewish, or to do the laundry. They were all Jewish, and they sang songs in Ladino. Then that's where I heard them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember any of the songs? Oh, just. I remember crying because many of them were these romances that were so uh, sad and oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the tragedy. Uh, but uh, but uh, something funny that happened was when we lived in St. Louis. Uh, we lived near the public library, which we frequented op- often, and I was surprised that they had uh, a record collection collection of music. And so I was looking through them and I find this record and this was like in the 19, early 1970. Uh, I, I picked up this record of Sephardic folk songs by Gloria Levy. I don't mm. know if this was the first ever it, mm. uh, it was uh, recorded by Folkways record yeah. and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I immediately, of course, I, I put it on and I, I started crying. I said, these were the songs I used to hear when I was a child. Mm. And so anyway, I bought one. And then during my first trip to Izmir, I took one to my, and um, we put it on with this same aunt that I was telling you about. And she says to me, in translation, I will say it in English, but she said it in Ladino. She said, you had to go to America to hear these songs. Why didn't you ask me? <laughs> could you, for our listeners, could you also say that in Ladino? Te fuiste hasta la América para sentir estas canticas de que no me demandates a mí. Classic. It's always yes. how it goes, right? Judith Cohen loves that story. You know, she's in musicologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she loves that story. Yeah. <laughs> we considered those, you know, like the modern things were the French songs. <laughs> it is interesting. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing too, because, you know, there's, there's truth to it as well of, of really having the sense of nostalgia or having the sense of home when you're away from your physical home right 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 so exactly to, to, to feel that to feel the the emotion at hearing yeah. something that you grew up with yeah. is really beautiful exactly 
Exactly. Yes. I didn't know there was ever a recording of those songs and I had to find it in America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Gloria is a friend of mine now. Mm. <laughs> yes. What was it like returning to Izmir? As well, I, I, I have been back many, many times. Yeah. In the beginning, um, it was two years I was away for college here. And I met my husband and I took him, my husband to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I took uh, my only condition to marry him was that we would get married in Izmir with mm-hmm. my family. And so uh, we went back then. Then we, uh, uh, on the way from Holland, we lived in Holland with him for two years. Then on the way from there to Israel, where we went to live, I went home. And then on the way back from Israel, I went home. I had the baby there. So I was going there very often in the beginning uh, until in those four years. Then it was a few years before I went back again. But I kept going back uh, quite often, So especially so long as my parents were alive. And then um, uh, my brother moved to Israel in 1973 and uh, um, then my father died and then my mother came here for a while then she went to Israel and eventually she died there so uh, there weren't the immediate family was no longer there but uh, I was very close to my cousins so I still went and visited them uh, and every time it had to be Israel and Turkey, you know, when you go all that way, you have to, you have to go visit them both. But uh, my language, the language with my brother inside the home was Ladino. But uh, if we were outside or for any other reason, it was always Turkish. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we corresponded in Turkish and everything. But uh, then when um, I started being active in Ladino, he he joined in and uh, we would uh, correspond in Ladino. Mm. How did you maintain the language after Los Amigos kind of fizzled out? Well, uh, I continued to be uh, in touch with um, Moshe Shaul in Israel, uh, who was publishing Aki Yerushalayim. And uh, of course, I started receiving it from the first issue. Uh, and um, in, uh, um, I, I, would, uh, I would write for Akira Shalim and be in, in communication with him and also with writers, uh, Ladino writers in Shalom, uh, especially after 1984. Uh, until 1984, Shalom, which is the newspaper, uh, the Jewish newspaper of Istanbul, was published all in Ladino, but uh, um, uh, the sales were down, and it was, uh, and the owner and editor was getting old, and so it was in danger of being closed down. And a group of younger people took it over, and decided to make it all in Turkish with just one or two pages in Ladino. So, I started corresponding with. Uh, a couple of people who would write there in Ladino. And uh, so mostly uh, I 
kept in touch with my language through writing to people. Um, the, uh, uh, and then in 1999, I was invited uh, to um, uh, a conference, an international conference. By then, um, in Israel had been founded the Ladino Authority, uh, financed by the government. Uh, they have, they did two so-called authorities, one for Yiddish, one for Ladino. And uh, so uh, Yitzhak Navon, may he rest in mm -hmm. peace, the president, um, the fifth president of the state of Israel, who was a native Ladino speaker, was the president and very active and oh, wow. wonderful person. Um, he, um, under his leadership, uh, they organized an international conference in Jerusalem to discuss um, how to spell, uh, how to write Ladino in Latin characters. Mm -hmm. Because until then, it was all in Hebrew characters, which, by the way, I didn't, I didn't know there existed uh, um, wow. literature in Latino and Hebrew characters. I knew nothing about that. Uh, so, uh, but... So so when you wrote your correspondence, when you wrote your letters, they were in Latin yes. script? Okay. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. And uh, um, so uh, anyway, uh, at that conference, they came from all over the world, especially from Spain, where uh, there was already a, uh, a center for Sephardic studies. And um, the professor... Um, uh, Jacob Hassan um, uh, was among the people who came. And of course, the people who wrote for Shalom in Istanbul and uh, uh, some people here, like uh, Rabbi um, uh, Isaac Jerusalmi from uh, Hebrew mm -hmm. Union College, uh, uh, who had uh, started publishing books in Ladino. Anyway, uh, so each person presented how they thought the system should go. But by then, Akir uh, Shalim had been published already for 10 years or more. And uh, they had uh, standardized the, uh, the spelling in, for their publication. And... Uh, uh, the uh, Shalom was writing it with the Turkish alphabet, which uh, is basically the same except for certain letters in Turkish, which other people would mispronounce because they don't know <laughs> how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, everybody thought what uh, presented their arguments. And finally, we voted. Uh, we all voted. And uh, the, uh, we voted to accept the uh, standardized version of Aki Yerushalayim, and, um, which was never accepted in Spain. To this mm -hmm. day, they do not uh, follow. They do a lot of good work in, in transcribing and analyzing old Latino literature, but, but their transcription is very convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, with a lot of diacritical signs to show the difference in pronunciation, mm. you know, like the je and the 
uh, Chua and so on. And, uh, so uh, anyway, so uh, it, after we had voted, uh, uh, Moshe Shaul in his speech said that we can promote this, uh, this spelling uh, now that there is such a thing as an internet and we have computers and we, uh, we could start uh, a correspondence group of people who know the language and so on. So it seemed to me like a good idea. So I came home and I just asked a friend, I said, I have a computer, how do you start a group? Mm. And, uh, and he told me, he said, it's very easy. You go, I forgot what, it, what the forum was at that time. I have it written down. Um, uh, and he says, you just start a group and you, uh, I uh, contacted a few friends. I said, I'm going to do this, would you? be members and they said oh great sure and so on and so uh without any advertising or anything just by word of mouth within a couple of months we had hundreds of people wow. and wow. within a year we had over a thousand people That's amazing. it was really amazing how it grew in the first years and in the first i would say in the first 10 years or so almost everybody was a native speaker wow in the group and but what, uh, now it is much changed, much changed. Yeah. yeah. What did you do in the group, in the online forum? Um, well, uh, we um, discussed our uh, culture in many ways and every uh, way, but it wasn't even limited to that so long as we used uh, the language. I mean, there were current events and... Uh, uh, but mostly it was memories and and uh, customs and uh, um, sayings and uh, and uh, um, superstitions, <laughs> things like that. You know that people remain and funny stories and so on. Uh, just uh, we at its heights, we would get like between fifty and twenty mails a day of wow. people writing in it was it's we have a very very rich uh, archive yeah recently um when was it i think it was the end of nine of 2020 where uh, we we were with um um yahoo groups for a long time and yahoo groups decided to close up shop and so yeah so we were so scared we were going to lose all these uh, archives. So we found this groups.io where they charge some money, but uh, the others were free. It was fantastic for <laughs> all yeah. those years. Uh, and, but, but they kept all our archives and we were able. So yeah, we're amazing. hoping that uh, it will stay. And if, if the time comes when it's no longer feasible, that all that can be transferred somewhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so how can somebody who's interested join or access Ladino Comunita? Oh, it's uh, just go to groups.io and, mm -hmm. uh, and type in Ladino Comunita and they'll make You'll you, find, I yeah. mean, I can give you a direct link. Yeah, we'll uh, put that in the, in the notes for our show so our okay, listeners can great, access it. Great. 
So for the past, I mean, what is it, 23, 24 years of Ladino Comunita, how has it changed? Because you mentioned that a little bit. It yes. has changed a lot. Yes. It has changed a lot. Uh, as I said, most of the Ladino speakers, I don't want to say most are dead, but many are have mm-hmm. passed on. Uh, and some others who are still around, uh, you know, in the beginning, this was the only forum for writing really in Ladino. Uh, there were Istanbul Jews who were writing in Shalom and or uh, Akir Shalim uh, from Israel, but uh, but mostly uh, in an informal way, it was uh, this was the only place. Um, but then in two thousand and five. Uh, El Amanecer started getting published in Istanbul. So many people who used to write for Ladino Comunitar started writing for the uh, sort of competition increased. uh, uh, And uh, of course, then there is Facebook has become a big thing now. Um, And uh, we have still almost 1,500 members. At its heights, we were almost at 1,700 people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are now below 1,600. No, below 1,500, I think. Uh, I have to check. I think it's below 1,500. And most of them are learners. They're just Mm. there to see what we write. And there aren't so many writing anymore. Uh, or, or they're, when they do write, it's short things. And um, it's, it's not like it was at yeah. these heights. And uh, I, uh, for a while, that really depressed me and wondered if it was time to close the, the forum. Because I see, for example, Aldo Sevi on uh, uh, Facebook has this wonderful um group that's extremely popular. He has thousands of people there. Uh, and he has wonderful teaching aids with pictures and so on. And so um, uh, the disadvantage there is that he can't control what people write. The good thing about yeah. Ladino Comunità is that even people who don't know the language very well, can make an attempt, and then we correct it because it's moderated. Yeah. We, uh, we correct it and then publish it, publish it, correct it. Um, uh, and um, I see that poor Aldo is constantly telling people, but you have to write in Ladino, you know, don't write <laughs> in English, don't write in Hebrew. This is only constantly, you know, yeah. we don't have that problem. Uh, but but on the other hand, um, he was telling me that um, uh, there are people in his group that don't even know what email is because mm-hmm. they just know how to do Facebook. That's all. (laughs) And so that's the in thing now. And and we're not so geared to teaching the language unless they read and they want to learn from from what they read. Uh, Once in a while we discuss whether one word is this way or the other way. But um, but we're not uh, set up for teaching. 
you have you have been teaching Ladino though throughout the pandemic, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about that? Well, I taught. Uh, uh, I taught even before the pandemic. It's, it's interesting to know that even in Dallas, I forgot to tell you this. There are so many Hispanic people here, including Jews, that when uh, I came and I forget how it was, but they found out that I spoke Ladino and they asked me to teach at the JCC. I taught for a few years there, (laughs) mostly Spanish-speaking Jews who were curious. Um, uh, And then there was a, there is still a Sephardic, quote-unquote, synagogue, which is led by a um, Ashkenazic yeshiva-trained Moroccan-Israeli rabbi. Wow. So it's, it has nothing to do with our culture, actually. But he wanted to learn about Ladino, wow. and he had me teach in his synagogue. And to this day, they sing Enkelohenu in Ladino in <laughs> that synagogue because the rabbi learned wow. it from me. and. <laughs> and they sing it. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, but since the pandemic, I taught um, through the Sephardic Brotherhood. I did a couple of, I think, five-week sec- sessions. Other people have done it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Kirshen has done it, uh, Gloria Asher. No, Daisy Sadaka. Daisy, by, by the way, is a friend of mine from Izmir also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, will so you, will you be teaching more online courses? Um, I haven't been asked uh, and I'm so busy. Uh, right now I'm doing something very interesting. There's a, a family that had that inherited a um, diary in Ladino in Latin script though just handwritten Mm -hmm. and they gave it it seems years ago to the american Sephardi federation asking them to to find somebody to translate this and (laughs) it sat there and finally brian said that he would take it and do it with his students but that didn't work out and so it sat there more years and finally they uh approached me and I said, okay, I'll try. Boy, is that a big job. I can't yeah. yeah. It's um, very interesting, but we're almost done. I wow. Have, uh, yeah. I put it on Google Docs, so a, couple, a friend of mine is helping along. And so oh. we sort of motivate each other. So I'm very busy, and I'm anxious to finish it. Um, yeah. uh, can you tell us a little more about it, if you can? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it is in um, uh, multicolored ink yeah. <laughs> with no, almost no punctuation, no capitalization, wow. words um, that are joined together, you mm. know, uh, alos is one word, to, to, you know, mm-hmm. Americanisms like Tinia dos criaturas, no se podía hacer bother con otras cosas. What is bother? Bother. <laughs> but it's spelled B A D E R. You have to guess <laughs> what it is. There was one word that he, he's very funny. There are some really funny episodes that he, 
this guy says it starts in 1911 with his uh, um, military service. No, military service in the Ottoman Empire. Okay, wow. He was from Kavala, Greece. Uh, (laughs) And uh, so he tells about his experiences in the the Ottoman army. And uh, he's very funny. And in one case, just he was mad at somebody who was carrying this uh, must have been a, a clay pot with food in it from the public oven on his head. And he threw a stone <laughs> and, the, and the pot broke and the things, <laughs> the food started running his face, down his face, but it didn't hurt him. So, uh, so he says that he was looking at him and he says he scratched his garganta, which is uh, throat, and he put in a word that is he spelled I-N-S-C-E. I had no idea what that could be. So my friend, who is Güler in Istanbul, who is also helping me with it, says it is Ense. Ense is a Turkish word for neck. Mm. Oh. <laughs> but it's E-N-S-E in Turkish, but he doesn't know Turkish. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it was, you know, there are things like that that make it challenging <laughs> to, uh, to guess, but it's also funny to, yeah. uh, to see those things. And um, he also mixes, it's not, it's not chronological. Suddenly he goes, he's in this, He's in the United States and he tells about the, oh, he makes up a word like, you know, push carts, how mm-hmm. people used to sell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he calls them push cart gis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, with the Turkish G at the end. <laughs> people who use work, there were, ma- how do you translate push cart gis? I said push cart turps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so, uh, so he, then he remembers something back in the old country, and it goes back and forth. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know how it ends, but it, uh, he has a table of contents that's very interesting. It is what he, what each page, what the main idea in each page is. Interesting. So it's eighty it's, uh, some pages. So each page. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and this is someone's so, personal diary or is right. this? Right. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Must, have, must have wanted it to be found with a <laughs> table of contents. That's an or type A. Very, uh, right. very so, organized. So so I, I just told uh, somebody, I said, let me finish this. Then we'll talk about this other project that somebody wanted me to do. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm not thinking about teaching it this time. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, one of the great, and frustrating things about, you know, reading these older Ladino texts is that because there was no standardization, everybody has their own right, system of exactly, spelling. Right, exactly, exactly. It is, it is, uh, uh, take the word asker. Asker means a soldier. It's a Turkish word, mm-hmm. but it was used in Ladino all the time. Uh, well, in Turkish, it's A-S-K-E-R. And this man spells it, as A-S-C-I-E-R, 
Now, that doesn't even make sense, even if you come from French, yeah. you know, because the C cannot be pronounced as a K before an I. But yeah. that's how he spells it throughout. Wow. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you it probably, to it probably took you a context. minute. You have to make out that that's what he means. Yeah. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. And he isn't even consistent. Sometimes he'll put <laughs> with a Q-U-E, sometimes he'll put a K. Yeah. I've seen that too. The yeah. same person. Just... Yeah. Different spelling. Yeah. yeah. Because Vagina right. wasn't taught really as a formal. No. Yeah. Uh, my parents' generation learned the Soletreo writing. Okay. You know, in school. But uh, but uh, my they didn't even use it when uh, because they they each had siblings outside of the country and they would correspond. I would see it and it was in Latin letters. Yeah, yeah. They they could read, I'm sure, but they didn't use it. And still, I imagine because, like you said, Spain has not officially recognized the spelling. The spelling. Um, that still people from different places who are corresponding in Ladino, I imagine the spelling varies a lot to this day. Right, they do. Uh, I don't know if you know that we're holding these um, weekly en encontros mm -hmm. on Sundays. And uh, one of the people I interviewed is a lady who lives in Brussels, Belgium, whose father was a well-known uh, rabbi in South Africa, uh, actually in Zimbabwe. Uh, and um, she decided to write books in Ladino, um, but bilingual in French. And, oh, wow. and, uh, and she absolutely has her own system of writing. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. French-based. You know, the O's are always O-U, for example. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, she d she does use the K, uh, the K rather K. than the Q or anything like that. But and she also um, insists on using the uh, the Rhodes dialect, which is which ha uh, substitutes the U instead of R O, mm -hmm. like uh, let's say vino, uh, vino. <laughs> uh, yeah, or um, 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 and also I instead of E, um, Isitis instead of Isites, mm. oh. uh, you know, that kind of thing. So she spells it that way so that it's pronounced yeah. in her dialect. And to her, it's, you know, a matter of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's, it's, easier to understand someone with a different variant of the language verbally or written down? Um, verbally, it's easier, but, but it doesn't matter. You can, you can make out what she means. It's, uh, there are some uh, words that I had to circle because it seemed to me so convoluted because uh, if... Uh, there is the U next to a, another vowel 
that makes it a whole bunch of vowels. <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like it makes sense to spell things that way. But, you know, people, so long as people are themselves native speakers, they don't want to be told what, mm-hmm. how to spell it. Uh, but most of them do like the Akirushalayim method because it's so straightforward, especially for uh, English speakers, you know, because yeah. the SH and so is uh, the, the French uh, insist of writing CH for the CH sound, you know, and then they put a T for the CH sound, the CH, ch- you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but it's, uh, El Amanecer and Shalom are all using the Aki Yerushalayim method, even though really the Turkish alphabet is the most appropriate for our, <laughs> I think, for our language because it has uh, the sounds, uh, the letters that we use that um, Aki Yerushalayim can't use because they're like the, uh, we have for French words, we do have words like uh, we say professor instead, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, but there is no uh to write, you know, or yeah. no u to write, uh, whereas Turkish has those, yeah. you know, and so on. And uh, oh, so, you're using kind of the Turkish alphabet to to for French words. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Sometimes we, we have to yeah. <laughs> we have to put the umlauts over. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, do you say merci mucho for thank you, or do you say gracias? We said uh, merci, merci mucho. Uh, we, that's how I grew up. Even my aunt used to say <laughs> merci. She learned it, I'm sure. But it was interesting in the Izmir dialect, which is quite different from even Istanbul. Um, we we always said gracias al Dio. Never, <laughs> you know, how do you, we how reserve do you that for for God. You know, how are you? You know, como estas? Gracias mm-hmm. al Dio, buena. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's uh, the spelling for gracias in Latino? Well, uh, uh, there are two spellings yeah. that are accepted. <laughs> one is G-R-A-S-I-A-S, okay. and the other one is G-R-A-S-Y-A-S. Mm. Yeah, the the um, diphthongs are uh, fluid at this point. What do you hope for the future of Ladino, for the future of the language, for the future? Of well, the- what I hope and what I see happening are two different. Yeah, so you can answer both. <laughs> it would be uh, nice, like Aldo Sevi would like to see, to have schools for children who teach, who teach the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact is that in Istanbul, for example, where there is a sizable community and uh, many people still speak Ladino, can, not that they use it every day, but they can. Um, They actually tried to convince the administrators to teach Ladino 
and they refused. Mm. They were not interested uh, because uh, they teach English as a foreign language. And uh, if somebody wants to speak Spanish, they can go to the uh, Cervantes Institute and take lessons and so on. Uh, Those are the useful languages and not Ladino. That's their attitude. Uh, And I don't see anything like (laughs) that happening in Israel either. What I do see happening and keeping the language alive, probably for the future, is the the, um, young people who have embraced the language (laughs) Uh, because it is so interesting. I mean, as I said, I began with because of nostalgic reasons, yeah. but as I went into it, I also think it's the most fascinating language. Mm-hmm. It is, and I can see why linguists are so excited about it, and others also. Yeah. It is. It is just a language that has within it the sounds of history. The uh, the uh, the geography, the uh, history, the neighbors, everything is inside the yeah. language. You know, <laughs> it is, uh, I don't know that there are, there is another language in the world that is so interesting that you can analyze where the words came from mm-hmm. and the suffixes are from another language and, and the root is from another language. It's just... Um, a very, very interesting uh, language and how we translated sayings from Turkish and adapted it and and uh, and Doha stories were from Nasrettin Hoca. Yeah. All kinds of things that make it really a very interesting language. Yeah, and it, it sounds like you're still learning things. I am. About I the am. language. And the, I yeah. am. I'm constantly learning. Yeah. I, I attend a, a class with uh, Al Maiman mm-hmm. uh, online, and his a treasure house. And uh, um, you know, we read things in Rashi, and I'm always noting down words I didn't yeah. know before. You know? Amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, because I, after all, at home, our our vocabulary was very limited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. Uh, literature we didn't uh, read anything yeah uh, so uh, there's a lot to learn yeah i learned to read rashi i didn't know that yeah i even learned to solitreo but uh, that's too difficult yeah solitreo solitreo is very difficult (laughs) wait so just just to be clear so rashi is the it's the formal hebrew script right and then solitreo is the Informal, the handwriting. Mm-hmm. The handwriting. So Latreo is handwriting. Actually, um, uh, some people call that Rashi also because it's a variation of a Rashi script. Mm-hmm. The Rashi script uh, is a print uh, font, really, that is a variation of what we know as standard Hebrew letters. Is a little different, but yeah. you can learn if you know the Hebrew letters. You can learn to read yeah. the Rashi very easily yeah. if you know the language. Yeah, 
but even if you don't, because um, the nice thing about the Rashi is that it uses vowels, whereas Hebrew, you know, yeah. when you're learning Hebrew, there are no vowels. You have to just know what the word is. Oh. But here, they, there is an Aleph for Ah, you it's know. It's all phonetic, for, yeah. Yeah, it's very phonetic. In the Rashi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is occasionally they'll use a double Lamed for right, the, for, uh, is for the this, Y sound. Is, Oh. Right, that which is, is fam yes, familia. Yeah, um, which is a weird, it's a borrowing from, I guess, the Spanish. <laughs> right. Double yeah. L. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Is there a Y? Isn't it like U? Yeah, I mean, the W. The w yeah, you'll see, it, you'll see it both ways. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So much to learn, so much right. to explore. What a yeah. fun yeah, yeah so you, fun adventure. I yeah, love you, it. I I just am in love with that language. <laughs> yeah, like even in the Hebrew characters, that there's no standardized spelling. Right? No, there isn't. There isn't. Yeah. There never was. But it's interesting. Rashi, as you know, was a French um, Ashkenazic rabbi, oh. uh, and uh, who wrote commentary on the Torah, and and he had nothing to do with this writing. Yeah. He never used it. He, what happened is that when they started printing Torah commentaries to to differentiate uh, the text from the commentary, they borrowed the Sephardic uh, printing system, <laughs> um, uh, alphabet system that they had developed actually in Spain to do the commentary to do and rashi is the main commentator mm. of the oh. of the torah and so that became known as the rashi script because yeah. his commentaries were printed in this font yeah so and it became rashi yeah and much of the printing presses this is like 15th 16th century were in italy right and they kind of spread throughout the jewish world yeah from there but yeah if you look at manuscripts from spain the Hebrew letters look very similar to the Rashi font. Right. So, yeah, exactly. so it's very interesting to see that evolution. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and today, the modern Hebrew font for handwriting is based on Yiddish handwriting. <laughs> um, they, say, they say that the, the Israelis uh, adopted the, uh, the Sephardic pronunciation, but the Yiddish script. <laughs> yeah. So in another in another universe, they might have been using Solitreo to write wild. modern Hebrew. That's so interesting. That's um, yeah. I did not know any of this. This is thank yeah. you. What a beautiful. Yeah. 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 Well, wow. we're running out of time. We don't want to keep you any oh. longer. Um, but we, we we can talk for hours. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to add or say or? Just I, I was going to say about the future mm -hmm. that uh, that uh, there are a few people making a big effort to teach their children, like Devin Nair mm -hmm. is teaching his children. And it's not easy when there isn't a community. But but to see the uh, enthusiasm that exists, it's it's coming out. Ladino is no longer a Jewish language. I mean, it is. Of course, a Jewish yeah. language, but the people who are interested in it are, from what I see, mostly non-Jews. A lot of Spaniards, yeah. 
they're teaching Ladino in uh, Poland. They're in Latvia. I mean, Amazing. <laughs> these, these are places. Uh, uh, and they're not Jewish, these people. I mean, they're not even Yiddish speakers. Yeah. It's, uh, um, so it seems to me it will continue. There's still, a, first of all, a lot to be discovered yeah. uh, and, and to be studied. And so um, it will live on. Certainly it will live on in the songs mm-hmm. uh, that uh, will, will be there forever. And people, some people have composed and are composing new songs in Ladino, yeah. which is amazing. Uh, so I'm very excited about, uh, because uh, when I started Ladino Comunita, it was, uh, there was nothing like that. You know, we were just a group, a very select group. We were yeah. very proud of ourselves, you know, that <laughs> yeah. we were a very Pioneer, select group yeah. of older Jews, you yeah. know, <laughs> trying to, to hang on and uh, to their home language. But now it's all these academics and non-academics, uh, young people who are working and making dictionaries and doing this and that and, uh, and teaching and uh, investigating the old literature. And um, they read Rashi and Solitreo better than any of us. You know? yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's very exciting and it'll be around I think at least that way and in the songs, like I said, yeah. for a long time, and that makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any sayings or superstitions or Joha stories, anything that you would like to share in Ladino with us? Oh, you want something in Ladino? Would love yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Not a bad spot, but just Oh, oh, okay. Let me see. I want to make it short. I, I what comes no. to me is a long one. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. We, you're welcome yeah. to share the long one too. We're, we're <laughs> okay. as long yeah. as you okay. are comfortable. Uh, vos contar el, uh, el cuento de Joja y el espejo. Espejo mm-hmm. is uh, the mirror. Do you know yeah. that one, Max? See, si. yeah. <laughs> the story, I don't think so. Oh, no? Espejo. Okay. Joja se fue al chashi. Y Vido no tenía visto un espejo. Vido un espejo. Y en súbito Vido, ay, ahí hay un hombre que parece al padre. Mm. Le demandó cuánto es esto. Y le pagó y tomó esto, se lo llevó a casa y se fue a la Musandara. Musandara es attic. Se fue a la Musandara y cada día iba a tomaba un chaizico, chai, tea. Sí, yeah. uh, si iba a la musandara, se sentaba delante del espejo y él hacía gestos y el, y el del espejo hacía la misma cosa, la misma cosa. Y así no pasaba la hora. La mujer empezó a pensar, antes se va Joja cada día allá. Ella, un día, cuando Johanna estaba en casa, se fue allá y miró al espejo y dijo, ¡Ah! Johanna tiene una mujer aquí. (risa) (risa) 
Va abajo cuando viene Johal y dice, ¿no te estás avergonzando? Entendiendo una mujer hermosa como mí, vas con esta el cierco que tienes arriba. Johal dice, no, no, tengo, no, 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 me arriba. Empezaron a pelearse. Lo voy a cortar un poco. Uh, empezaron a pelearse. Vinieron los vecinos. Llamaron al polis. El polis vino. Va arriba a ver lo que está pasando. Y él no tenía visto un espejo. Así, vino un polis ahí. Les dijo, si ya, si ya tenías polis, ¿para cuál me llamaste a mí? <laughs> Why did you call? Okay. Hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. That I did that one with the uh, students. I uh, instituted Dia de Ladino here in Dallas at uh, Southern Methodist University of all places. Wow, <laughs> and I did that with the Spanish class. <laughs> Each one took a role. Of uh, one was Joha, one was the uh, wife. Um, the wife, one was the policeman. <laughs> so funny. See, here I thought this whole time that Joha was the only one that was a little slow on the uptake, but meanwhile, the whole, the the whole village, the whole, the whole town. <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh. Oh, sorry. For our listeners, do you, I know it's a little bit long if you're not comfortable with translating it, that's fine as well. But if you would mind also maybe doing a quick recap in English. Oh, sure. Joha had never seen a mirror. Mm -hmm. So he saw, he sees one in the marketplace. Uh, and uh, sees somebody in there who looked just like his father. So he um, he buys it, he pays whatever the guy asks, he takes it to the attic, and every day it becomes like his secret friend up there, and he takes his little uh, glass of tea and goes uh, there, and his wife starts getting suspicious as to what Joha is doing up there. And he goes, uh, and she goes up and sees a woman in there. She had never seen a mirror either, All she's, but she does see a woman. She comes down and starts yelling at him, aren't you ashamed <laughs> of yourself? You have a beautiful wife and you go with this trash that you keep upstairs. <laughs> and so they... Uh, Uh, they start fighting about it, and eventually they, uh, the neighbors come, and it becomes a big ruckus, and so they call the police. The police comes, and uh, he goes upstairs, and he sees a policeman there <laughs> in the mirror and, and comes down and says, if you already had a policeman, why did you bother calling me? <laughs> That's new for me. I think that's my new favorite one, yeah. actually, that I've heard. That's <laughs> really funny. Thank you so What yeah. a treat it's been. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Okay, really a pleasure.
this interview was so exciting to me. It was it was she was so fascinating and so with it and cool and I want to be her friend. Yeah. Well, I hope I think we are. I'd, I, like to, I'd like to say that we are. I hope so. Um, but yeah, it was such an honor having her. I mean, she's one of the legends. Like, leading legends in the Ladino in the Ladino world yeah. today. Um and so much of the activity around Ladino, Judeo Spanish studies and community work and activities and language especially preservation. online yeah. is you know, partly due to her, her efforts. Largely due to her. And it kind of, I didn't know that so much of this started as a volunteer, just, you know, her own willingness and energy to put together Los Amigos Sefaradis in the 80s and then Ladino Comunita in the 90s and Encontros de Alhad today. And, you know, looking at her activity and what she's done, you'd think, oh, this is her full-time job. But, no, she has... She's she's an English second language teacher. Yeah. For 35 years, yeah, she did that. And now she has all these projects that are going on, the translating Mm -hmm. letters from Ladino, like, just really keeping up with the Ladino Comunidad online. Um. She's she's amazing and and really a force. It was so inspiring to speak with her and to hear also I loved that her motivation really came from the fact that people she was not really able, you know, she came from Izmir where what was interesting I thought was that she mentioned that unlike a lot of the rest of Turkey from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Izmir Ladino wasn't considered a less than language. It was it was the common language, and it was used by everyone regardless of class, um, which I, I thought was was really interesting. So that when she came to the U.S. and she for she said what thirty years before she even heard Ladino, um, and it was out of the fact that family members and friends and people who she would have normally spoken to only in Ladino were passing, that's how her, that was like the conduit for her activism in Ladino preservation. Yeah. And it wasn't even about preservation. It was literally about f- feeling nostalgic from yeah. a sense of m- missing home. Yeah. And, you know, it's nostalgic for a lot of people. Even people who don't necessarily speak it but remember hearing it growing up from a parent or a grandparent. But I think for us, it's a, a tiny bit nostalgic, but it's something more too. So I, I like this idea how there is room for nostalgia, mm-hmm. and nostalgia can get a bad rap. And uh, there are good and bad things about I'm it. I'm such a nostalgic <laughs> human. <laughs> totally but, love it. It's not just a nostalgic thing. No. And I think in that way it kind of escapes some of the nostalgic trappings of something like Yiddish where I feel like for so many people Yiddish is just like old kind of grandparent language. But I think for Ladino because there are so many people, like Rachel was saying, that are not from Jewish backgrounds who are interested in it. 
I think it gives it a nice vibrancy and a nice way to contextualize the nostalgia and um, to enliven it. So it's not just a bunch of people looking inward. Mm, Um, It's evolving. Yeah, and like Rachel Bornick is like a prime example of that, turning nostalgia and honoring it and transforming it into something to share with with people who are interested in in this subject. I'm going to disagree with you on something, actually, because I do think that Yiddish also is evolving. I mean, it's on Duolingo now, which is like a tech, you know, it's like it's evolving with technology, same as Ladino. So I, I think I would disagree with you there. But I, I definitely do think that you're right in terms of Ladino being really as it is endangered and as people are starting to find interest whether for the first time or or as a, as a result of nostalgia, it definitely has a, a a big life capacity and a big evolution capacity, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Especially as fewer and fewer people have nostalgia for Ladino, it's important to have all these all these other ways to access it. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting too for like linguists because it has so many different languages and so many different geographies attached to it, obviously the historical component as well. Um, but as a language itself, it's very musical. It's very, it, it's very, it's like an amalgamation of so much. There's, yeah, there's a lot of room for, mm-hmm. for uh, exploration mm-hmm. and for evolution. And I, I think too, like what you were saying about Rachel really being a legend in terms of kind of bringing Ladino online and, you know, with her Ladino Comunita and and creating a, a platform for correspondence in Ladino is fascinating. And something that really stuck out to me and that we talked about a little bit too was the idea of, you know, this site is monitored so people can submit their stories, their Joha stories, their uh, little... Um, folk tales, their sentences, idioms, all the things. But then there are a group of, you know, quote unquote, like either native Ladino speakers or experts who are monitoring, monitoring, excuse me, who are monitoring and proctoring this site, which leads to a really important conversation of, well, if there's not necessarily a fully recognized standard in Ladino, what is, you know, the right way to have this site, Ladino Comunidad, monitored by a group of people that are using a specific standard that doesn't necessarily, you know, encompass all of the Ladino native and expert speaker experiences really um, was interesting to me mm-hmm. and opened a lot of questions. Yeah. One other thing that Rachel was talking about that is almost like the opposite of a bridge, kind of a limit, one of the barriers that Ladino has put up for people, unfortunately. She's talking about when she came to the U.S., I think it was in the 50s, 1950s. People, other Jewish people in this country didn't believe that she was Jewish because she didn't speak Yiddish, Mm -hmm. you know, the language of Eastern European Jews um, and 
many of their descendants. And, you know, they may not have heard of Ladino, they may not have heard of Sephardic Jews. And so you have this thing happening, and it's not just her, it's many people have this experience, even today, to some extent, um, that it doesn't read as a Jewish language or like Yiddish and or Hebrew can only stand in for Jewish languages. Which I think is a gift and a curse because it, it creates a sense of exclusivity, which is a bummer, and, or exclusion, not exclusivity. But it also, I think, gives room for people who are not Jewish or who don't identify with the religion to feel more welcome to learn it as well, whereas they might not feel that same sense of, you know, testing testing the linguistic waters with another language, for example, that is identified with one peoples or one one thing. But it definitely can be hurtful, and and it I think it it really invalidated a lot of people's experiences, especially in the fifties and you know the earlier turn of the century where people would come here and or to the US is what I mean by here and not be recognized um, as a part of the community because they spoke Ladino and were automatically considered other. It's sad and it's hurtful to, to think of, you know, n- not being accepted by a group of people that you even consider your own um, specifically because mm-hmm. you don't necessarily speak the same language um but also then on the other vein it creates hopefully motivation to be more inclusive and to to you know if you've been excluded then you know what that feels like and you therefore wouldn't want to do that to somebody else yeah and i think even in those moments of exclusion I think it comes more just from ignorance. And already you're kind of poking a hole in whatever bubble that people may not even realize. I mean, I don't... For a lot of these people who don't think of Ladino or someone speaking Ladino as Jewish, like, how can you be Jewish if you don't speak Yiddish? Um, I think that, like, once you learn that that's not true then you kind of open your mind up a little bit. Yeah, and realize that you can be from anywhere and... Speak any language. Speak any language and be a part of any community and not necessarily look away or speak away or sound away. I think that's really important. I can't, you know... I mean, just like prejudice and... Thank you. Bias. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a lot of things are unconscious and assumptions. Totally. Um. That's why we're here, asking questions, trying to get rid of the assumptions. Yeah, it's important to to even um, check your own biases and, and, you know, do some self-reflection before assuming anything onto another person to to really just ask and, and be open. I loved to... Something that um, Rachel talked about was the visitas, the visits, which I didn't know was like a Ladino slash Sephardic tradition. 
because my mom always talked about mm. that my grandpa would take her on visitas and they'd go to like Tanta Alegra and like the different like tantas, different aunt, aunties, and they'd like knock on the door and open the door and there'd be like all these different foods with the barracas <laughs> and the bullos and all the things and then they have like castañedas and like dancing and flamenco and all mm-hmm. this you know and I always I've always heard about them growing up um, as like just a really cute activity that my grandpa and my mom would do I didn't realize that that was a traditional act- activity that was commonly performed mostly by women actually mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean I love this idea of informal community Mm -hmm. and there's a ritual to it and I kind of like that a little bit like here's the set way that you do this Um, but it also it's like you get to do something nice for somebody if you're hosting Mm -hmm. and it's a sense of regularity and a comfort and I never I didn't experience vegetas or anything like that um but maybe I'll bring it back. Yeah, we should 1,000%. Knock, knock. Yeah. And just have Hi, the... <laughs> there's like a little special serving tray. So cute. And, you know, you have your glass of water and you get like a, a scoop of like preserves, like very sweet like fruit preserves, and you mix it in the water. And that's like what you, the dish. Yeah. Wow. That I didn't know. I know. Yeah. Y vamos a hablar en judeo español. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And tell. You can do some dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Balar, meldar, stories, the joha. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am really excited that we were able to interview Rachel Amada Bortnik. I know, and, and she is kind of the, an obvious choice for who to interview for a podcast about Ladino. And we're so glad that she was eager and willing. Uh, to talk with us and such a delight. Such a delight. Such a font of yeah, like knowledge l- l- and information. Really, she's a legend and she lives up to the, you know, never meet your heroes, but definitely meet this one because she's amazing. <laughs> one thing, too, if you're interested, we talked about a documentary that centers Rachel and her life and experience with Ladino. And it's called Trees Cry for Rain, and we'll put a link to that. Directed in by the, Bonnie Burt. I'll put that a link to that in the show notes. And I'll give you more insight into Rachel Bortnick and different customs of Ladino-speaking Jews from East Mir. Yeah. One thing that she mentions in the documentary, which I found was really interesting, was the the mode of transmission was it was like a, not only like a mother's language, but also like a housework language. So Ladino through songs and, and tedious tasks that you know, house chores, people, in order to pass the time and to make it enjoyable, would sing in Ladino. And so these songs would then be transmitted to the future generations and to anyone who was um, participating also in the house chores, which I thought was pretty cool. It's like Yeah. Very... And oftentimes it was multi-generational, mm-hmm. multi-different generations of women um, singing and passing them along and also cooking together was also a commonplace, an activity where linguistic and cultural transmission and culinary transmission would happen. It's amazing. I love that. As always, if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at elpontepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at elpontepodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.
Onde irás, amigos toparás. Wherever you go, may you find friends. If you're interested in checking out and joining Ladino Comunita, the online online correspondence group, um, we'll put instructions in the show notes about where to send an email and how to sign up. And it's a wonderful resource. It has a great archive. And it's a great way to keep in touch with all the goings-on of the Ladino world 